Thank you, guys. Well, it's really good to be here. I was trying to bring my whole family, but because I travel quite a bit, sometimes the kids are like, ah, we don't want to go to another kid's church. And I like, get here, I'm like, man, my kids would love this. So <laughs> if this happens again, I will bring them all, and they will get to play and have fun with all of you. I'll just show you this real fast and tell you a little bit about myself. I, I've been in children's ministry for almost 17 years. I know I don't look that old, but when you work with kids, you stay young. It's a secret that most people don't know. I'm sharing it with you. Um, 17 years almost I've been working with children. I worked four years in New York City under Bill Wilson Metro Ministries, which is called the most reproducible ministry in the world. I've, um, they've reproduced this ministry all over the planet, and I've got to go all over the planet and help. Um, it's amazing. We, in New York City alone, we've reached 20,000 kids a week on average. That was years ago. I don't know how many it is now. At Christmas time, we would have 60,000 children come in one week to church. It was, it was nuts. Like, help us, Jesus. Help them in New York. No. And then 10 years at Bethel in Reading, uh, with Bill Johnson and those guys up there. So I just moved a little bit ago, as Christian said, and it's been really fun. But I'm still in children's ministry, but I finally realized after about 14 years working with kids in the church that the first actual children's ministry is the home. And the first children's pastors are the parents. And I spent all these years traveling around helping create powerful children's ministries, and I realized, wow, I've been missing out I've been training children's pastors and children's workers and children's volunteers, and I've been missing the most important children's pastor of all, the parent. And so we started aiming towards the family, you know, whatever we did in church, we want to bring into the home because I have a very strong passion. I like, I do not like religion. I don't like religiosity. I like relationship with God. And unfortunately, what we see a lot of places is the Christian mindset is that Christianity is something we do on Sunday morning. So we come to church and we put on our Christian face and we do Christianity for two hours and then we get back in the car and we put on our regular face. And, and unfortunately, if we do that, we teach our kids that Christianity is an event-based religion, something we do, not someone we are. And so I've been aiming for a couple years now at getting into the home and into the family. And so... Back there, we have something called Arrows. It's awesome that Georgian's thing is called Arrowfest. Um, arrows are really important to me. I have, like, tattoos of arrows, this curriculum called Arrows. But the Bible says in Psalm 127, 4, children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. That means us as parents are warriors in God's eyes. And our kids are arrows. They are the long-range weapon of the spirit realm. Our children, when we learn as parents to work together with our kids to, to actually attack the enemy, to actually go into places arrows are designed to go, because arrows aren't really made for the quiver. You could have all the arrows in the world, but if you keep them in the quiver, it's the same as having no arrows. And you're, you've limited yourself to hand-to-hand -hand combat with the enemy. It's the reason the church has looked the same for hundreds of years, because we know, we know about the sword of the spirit. We forget about the arrows on our back. 
And we never actually work with kids, which I love that you guys have the kids just roaming around, praying, leading. Like, come on, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is how, it's, this is how it should be. I actually went to, I got messed up one time as a children's pastor at a conference. I went and did a conference, and I left this conference, and I had this thought. I don't know if I believe in kids' church anymore. And I'm the one that travels the whole planet teaching kids' church. Like, I don't know if I even believe in this because I, I saw the power of parents and kids together encountering God and doing this stuff. But back to what I was saying, like, most, most Christians have limited themselves to fighting the enemy in hand-to-hand combat. But in the same few verses, the enemy shoots flaming arrows at us. And we go on defense, and then we wait till he comes close to attack him. When all along, we could just get the kids out and hit him before he even knows we're there. The power of parents and children working together with God has the potential to alter the spiritual battle once and for all. That's all there is to it. Because we've all been fighting the same battle. Let me wait till you get here, get out my sword, and fight you. And Oh, man, I could have been a sniper and just took you out. You never even had to come near my home if I knew how to work with my kids. Are you with me? So I love what's happening here already. This is amazing. And that's why we created this whole thing. It's five-minute videos because I have three. I am a young fan. Like, we have a two-year-old who's the most hyper two-year-old of all three of our children. And he, like, he's, he's hyper. It's awesome. But I know, I, f- I feel, I, I know, I'm, I have a young family too. So this is all five-minute videos designed to, like, learn pr- to teach our kids the prophetic at the dinner table, to heal the sick in public with our children. But it's all five- to seven-minute videos because none of us need hour-long teachings when we got little kids. Amen. And then my wife, my wife wrote this book. I helped her a little bit. She really wrote most of it. We just put my name on the front because people know who I am and they don't know her yet. Maybe we'll switch it one day, but she, she put this together and I just helped her. But this is called Win-Win Parenting. We're really passionate about having kids and parents that are both winning. Sometimes the parents are winning and the kids are losing or the kids are winning and the parents are losing and it's possible to have both winning at the same time. And so... Uh, someone just wrote me the other day. They're like, this is the perfect book to go with Danny Silk's parenting stuff. I'm like, well, that was the whole goal, to build on a really good foundation. Because if Danny Silk is your foundation, woo, you can build really high. You know what I mean? Danny wrote Loving Our Kids on Purpose, and he does a lot of stuff with culture and with home and with family. And so we wrote this very practical stuff in there. And then this is a book. This is Bill Johnson's book. Um, God is good, but I wrote the kids version with him called God is really good. So this is for small kids. You know, the little kids are like, read me a book. This is a great book. Um, Theology-wise, I actually am very passionate <laughs> about this book because the book starts with discovering that there's a problem in the forest that squirrel has run out of acorns, and squirrel cannot find acorns anywhere. So Sparrow goes flying around looking for acorns, looking for people to help him find acorns. No one can help because they all have their own issues. And the more Sparrow flies around the forest, the more he realizes the forest is all jacked up and everybody has issues and everybody has problems. And he starts to notice all the bad things happening in the forest. 
and he realizes, he starts to question, if all these bad things are happening in the forest, maybe God's not good like I thought he was, like my parents told me he was. And then he shows up to Lily, you know, consider the lilies of the field, right? He shows up to Lily and he tells her all the problems in the forest. And Lily's completely unfazed. And she starts to ask him questions and she gets all the way down to the end and she says, tell me, Sparrow, what kind of tree does squirrel live in? And Sparrow says, squirrel lives in an oak tree. Meaning, squirrel has run out of acorns and can't find them anywhere in the forest. And so you've been scrambling all around trying to solve this problem, discovering all the other problems. All along, squirrel lives in the tree that makes acorns. Are you with me? We found a problem at a tree called sin, and then we find the solution at the same tree called the cross that solved every problem before we even realized we had one. Are you with me? So theologically, I, like, I love this book. Parents write me all the time. They're like, I'm reading this for my kids, and it's really good for me too. I'm like, I know, it's really good for me as well. There's a tree that solved all the problems. And it doesn't matter how bad the forest looks, there's a tree that solved the problem that's the real problem of the forest. Are you with me? So, and then what we, what we do is if you get these two together, we'll give you that one for free. I think this one's 17 bucks. We'll just give it to you for free if you buy both of these. Is there someone that has a little, like a, here, you guys need that. Do you have that one? You do now. There you go. Sorry, I was trying to do my commercial real fast, but we're in L.A., so you're used to it. Commercials. I love this. Are you guys good? Okay. <clears throat> so I love that you guys are talking about baptizing kids. I just worked with a church in Asia because um, a mom emailed me and said, hey, my five-year-old wants to get baptized. He knows all about it. Like, he died to sin. He wants to bury his old sinful life. He wants to come back up in newness of life. He wants to demonstrate to everyone. Like, she's telling me all this stuff. I'm like, man, your kid knows exactly what baptism is. But he, she said, my church won't let him get baptized till he's 10. I'm like, oh, no, that has to change. Like, you got to bat. When kids are saying, I want to be baptized, and I want to show people how much I love Jesus and that I'm a new creation and that I know what he's done for me and to me, then that's an important thing to do. So I love that you guys are baptizing kids. And I love, I drove up and I parked right here, and I love that when you look out, the only thing you can see is this building that says seismic safety. Have you ever noticed that building over there? I had to sit in the car for like five extra minutes just to make notes on the building because like, here's what I, here's what I wrote. This, that's the seismic safety. When you look out, you see seismic safety, foundation repair, house bolting, which is for earthquake resistance. That basically means when everything else shakes, the home will stand strong. When everything else completely falls apart, the houses that have been bolted by that place will not fall, will not crumble, will not crack. And if they've cracked in previous earth, earthquakes, you can get the foundation restored. I just felt like, I feel like that building is a word for you guys. 
So I'm just going to tell you. Then we went into the joy room and everyone's praying for me. I'm like, man, I have to take notes because I'm getting so much right now. Like, you know how like sometimes when people pray for you, you're like, I kind of need you to stop praying for me so I can take notes, but I don't want you to stop praying for me. The Lord always does that to me. Like when I used to own a motorcycle, I'd ride. God would talk to me so much on my motorcycle. I'm like, Lord, come on. I can't just pull over and take notes. You know, like in a car, at least you can like tell Siri to make notes for you and stuff. Like he always talks to me at the most random times, but that was like, I'm like, Lord, I need to take notes, but I want everyone to pray for me. I, f- I saw the Lord give you guys an air compressor, like a really big air compressor, industrial strength air compressor, because I was thinking about the building, and I know how these guys probably work. Maybe. I think I know how those guys work. But in- an air compressor is what gives power to an impact wrench. I saw God give you guys a new air compressor in the corner, like a big red one with the air hose coming out and an impact wrench. And here's what I had to like look it up, and I made all these little notes about the impact wrench. Impact wrenches are designed to deliver high torque output with minimal exertion by the user. By storing energy in a rotating mass, then delivering it suddenly to the output shaft. So basically what impact wrenches do as well is you can adjust them and set them so that they put the appropriate appropriate amount of pressure needed because I'm telling you, if you're bolting down a foundation, if you're bolt re- restoring a foundation, if you're bolting a house, like bolting homes, if you're bolting homes, you do not want those bolts to get too tight. Why? Because then the, the, the whole thing will break and now what you were trying to strengthen actually becomes weaker. And if you, if you don't want the bolts to be too loose because if the bolts are too loose, then when the earth shakes, it's just the same as if you didn't have them bolted in the first place, right? Because if, if it's like all bolted tight and up but it's not really tight, when the earth shakes, it's going to loosen up even like it would if it wasn't bolted, are you, Right? So impact wrench is designed to deliver the appropriate amount of torque to, to tighten the bolts properly so that the house stays strong. Are you with me? So the foundation stays strong. Then I said, see this website. Here's a, oh yeah, I need to go to the website. Hold on. Impact wrenches are widely used in many industries such as automotive repair, heavy equipment, maintenance, product assembly, major construction projects, which would be what that is, a major construction project and any other instance where high torque output is needed. Then there's something called a pulse tool. This is so cool. For product assembly, a pulse tool is commonly used as it features a reactionless tightening. I think that means, I don't know, someone might know this, I think that means like when you're tightening the bolt, you don't feel it. Like when you're, like when, ti- when you're applying high amounts of torque with this tool, you act, the, the person doesn't feel it back. Reactionless tightening. While reducing noise levels, the regular impacts suffer from. So impact wrenches are those ones that are like when you take your car to get a new tire and they're out there going, and then it's like... Like it makes that crazy sound where it's stopped. You know what I'm talking about? You guys with me? I know I'm not preaching from the Bible yet, but we will. (laughs) This is just really important. Here's what it says. Pulse tools 
use oil as a medium to transfer the kinetic energy from the hammer into the anvil. This gives a smoother impulse, slightly lower torque to weight ratio, and a possibility to design a shutoff mechanism that shuts the tool down when achieving the correct torque. Pulse tools are not referred to as impact wrenches as performance technology are not the same. And I, I don't know, I felt like the Lord was giving you more than just one tool. He was giving you, and it wasn't just the air compressor, it was the oil, like hydraulic, where it pumps the oil in instead of pumps the air in. And I feel like it's the breath of God and the anointing of God that God is releasing new levels to be able to bolt down homes, tighten up foundations, strengthen foundations, so that when everything else shakes, the home doesn't shake. Are you with me? That's a good word. Come on. And the, the ability to apply, apply the appropriate, appropriate, proper pressure. Come on. Some pastors, like, you know, sometimes pastors yell too much, and, it, and it's like, not good. And sometimes pastors don't yell ever. Not good. It's exactly what you just said over here. I'm like, no, no. Like, sometimes when I would yell, like, when I would work with the kids and I'd get all passionate and I'd start yelling. One time somebody came up to me and they said, why do you yell at the kids? I'm like, I'm not yelling at the kids. I'm yelling for the kids. I'm, I'm becoming their yell and I'm passionately, are you with, do you know what I mean? Like sometimes I don't get passionate to get mad at people. I like get mad at their enemy and I'm like trying to get them to step into something to break something off or to shake off all that stuff that's inside there but I think that appropriate pressure is really important come on sometimes you just need a good you need someone to just like let you know what the truth is always in love but then sometimes you don't need that you know what I mean that's what this house is going to do is known for is going to bring into people's lives so if your pastor yells at you just receive it (laughs) okay Um, this morning I really didn't have a message until this morning and I woke up at 514 and I I checked my phone at 514 and I went to the verse Hebrews 514 which is one of my favorite verses in the Bible 512, 13 and 14 some of my favorite verses in the Bible so I went downstairs at 514 and I got dressed and took a shower and all that and I just started making notes so just so you know I never like re- I don't really recycle sermons I they're always a little bit different but this one is brand new just for you guys but Hebrews 5:14 talks about um, maturity kingdom maturity spiritual maturity it's a really really important verse in the Bible and um, before we go there though we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4 11 through 13, it says, actually maybe 16, it says, he himself, this is Jesus, Jesus gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So this is really, really important, like this is why we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I don't know if you've ever seen Kung Fu Panda, but it shows it so perfect. It's really a good demonstration of the fivefold ministry because the, kung, the panda is the normal Christian who wants to do Kung Fu. He's the normal person, the normal panda. He wants to do Kung Fu, 
but he ends up being taught by the Furious Five. And the Furious Five take all their abilities and teach this one panda. And he becomes the dragon warrior with power, with the only power that can actually stop the enemy who's coming to destroy cities and countries. He's the only one with enough power to do it, but he got all of it from working with the Furious Five. Are you with me? That's what apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are supposed to be doing is that the normal believer actually becomes more powerful than the people on the stage. Why? Because the apostle comes and releases apostolic grace into your life, and now you become apostolic. And then the prophet comes and releases prophetic grace into your life, and now you become prophetic. Then the evangelist comes, and you become evangelistic. Then, and you get chunks off their life to make you like a super believer, like a dragon warrior, unlimited potential, unlimited power. This is why it's so weird at Bethel, because sometimes people are like, whoa, oh, you're a prophet. Like, no. Chris is the prophet. I can step into prophetic grace at any moment because I have a father who's a prophet and his flow is going into my life. Oh, you're such an evangelist. No, I can step into the evangelistic grace because of who my dads are. Are you with me? I can step into teacher mode like this. I can step because of, that's how the normal believer is supposed to be. This is what the fivefold is supposed to do. Are you still with me? Yes. We're going to try to move because... I got a lot of stuff to say, and we probably won't be able to say it all. But then here's what else is supposed to happen. So this is for equipping the saints for the work of ministry, edifying the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Everybody say perfect man. Perfect man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. So that word perfect man in a lot of other translations says to a mature person, to a mature man. So the whole point of coming to church, the whole point of having people speak to us, having people pray for us, having people minister to us, the whole point is for maturity. Are you with me? Do you see that? The whole point is that we all become mature, that we are no longer children. Now, we've already talked about this. I, I am a passionate believer in childlikeness. I'm, I'm all about it. Like, I teach grown-ups how to do what Jesus, Jesus said. Hey, if you don't repent and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom. That's a, that's a strong verse. That's a strong thing to say. Hey, grown-ups, you need to become like little children if you even want to enter the kingdom. Hello, are you here? Have you had enough coffee? Do you need to wake up? I, I go all around the world helping grown-ups become like children. I love it. We, we need to laugh more. We need to trust more. We need to play more. We need to have way more fun. Some parents are like, I don't have time for games. Like, no, you don't have time for not games. Because <laughs> if you would just play games with your kids, they'd hurry up and come along. Are you with me? But this verse, this is a little bit different verse. It says that we should no longer be children, that we would become mature and no longer be children. There is a massive difference between childlikeness and childishness. So it's really important, like, hey, when you grow up, don't be like a little kid, like childish, where you don't pay your bills on time, where you don't show up for church late, 
just messing. Where you don't show up to work late, where you don't call in all the time, where you don't need other people to call in sick for you because you're too afraid to talk to, you know what I'm saying? There's childish stuff that needs to come off us as we mature. But in the kingdom, as we mature, we also become more and more childlike. Where we do all the other stuff, laugh more, trust more. Are you with me? All right, so Hebrews 5.14 is also all about maturity. And let me just read it to you, starting in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age or who are mature, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So here's what I think Paul wrote this. Nobody really knows, but I think it's Paul. Paul's saying he's taking a literal, natural analogy to help us understand spiritual maturity. He's taking the natural process of a little kid maturing and saying that's the same with us. Right? So children are born. What do they need? Milk. They get milk, they get a bottle, or they get mom. Right? They get milk, and they eat milk, drink milk, drink milk, drink milk, drink milk, and eventually they come to this place. Like I just talked to one of the little guys. He's like, I'm about to lose a tooth. Okay, he's maturing. He's going to lose a tooth. He's going to get an adult tooth. But when that happens, you fully moved on from needing milk to, to now eating solid food. Are you with me? So we know this. This is how kids mature. They lose their teeth. Then they can eat whatever they want. It's also a sign of the ability to feed ourselves. So little kids, young Christians can't feed themselves. So what's the job of the church? To help you feed yourself. Why? Because we're helping you mature. To help you not need someone to stand up here and feed you all the time, but for you to actually be able to feed yourself. That's a sign of maturity in the kingdom. Because you got teeth. You have teeth now. You lost your baby teeth. You grew big teeth. And you're supposed to be eating food. Are you with me? You can chew. You can digest more stuff because you chew it up. But here's what, I, here's what I love about this. When I was talking to the little boy over here, he was like, I'm going to lose my tooth. I realized maturing in the kingdom, like I already said, but maturity in the kingdom is supposed to be really, really fun for us. It's supposed to be really joyful for us. Because how many of you know, when that boy loses his tooth, what's he going to do with it? He's going to take it right to his pillow, stick it under there, and try to stay awake to see the tooth fairy. And when he wakes up, his maturity is actually going to bring him finances and joy. <laughs> are you with me? So little kids are like, you know how little kids are, I just want to grow up. I just want to lose my teeth because every time I lose my tooth, like, man, me and my wife made a mistake one time. We didn't have any $1 bills, so I stuck five under the pillow, which is awesome. Except then from, from then on, you can't leave anything less than a five. Right? She's like, she's like, yes, I'm going to get another $5. I can't wait. I'm like, man, I really just want to give you two. But now I can't because we gave her five once. But kids, when they go from milk 
to solid food. For them, it's exciting. For them, it's joyful. This is what maturity in the kingdom is supposed to look like. I'm moving from a place where I need you to feed me, where I'm dependent on you, where every time I cry, you give me something to eat, where you're always, you giving me pre, I can't digest, I can't chew, I can't do anything. But as we grow up, we're like, wow, I can actually feed myself. I can actually eat solid food. I'm actually maturing. Oh, it's actually supposed to be fun for us, just like it is for a kid to lose their teeth. You with me? So please, when I'm, if I'm talking about growing up in God and maturing with the Lord, like, it's, it's always supposed to be fun. Okay, I feel like I'm going really fast, but I want to give us some stuff. There's a lot of young families here. I want to give you stuff for your little families. And at the same time, it all translates to all of us as children of God. So some of you don't have young families, but it doesn't matter if you don't have a young family and this isn't actually applicable to you. It is applicable to you in your own life. Because we're all trying to mature. So I'm going to give you a lot of stuff for the little ones, people with little kids, tiny kids, whatever. And if you don't have tiny kids, you're supposed to just receive this for you. Even if you do have tiny kids, it's for us too. Are you with me? Does that make sense? All right. What time do we need to finish? Is there? Whenever I'm done. Okay, good. So when little kids are small and they're coming... They're firstborn. It doesn't matter what they need. They cry. So like, if they have a poopy diaper, they cry. If they're hungry, they cry. If they're scared, they cry. If they're tired, they cry. If they have a wet diaper, they cry. If they want you to snuggle them, they cry. Are you with me? So like little kids only have one form of communication, really. Just cry. And part of maturing is to learn I don't get to just cry about everything. I don't get to just yell and get all my needs met. Unfortunately, in our country right now, we have people who what I'm about to teach you never actually learned what I'm about to teach you. And so they're in their late 20s, early 20s, and they think I can just make noise and the government will come and meet all my needs and take care of all my needs. And I don't actually have to do anything for it. I don't actually even have to really Come on. People are pitching some really weird stuff right now in our, for our country, in our country. Please, in the kingdom, it's sort of like socialism where you get everything for free, and it's absolutely not like socialism because you have to do, you have to work to make sure you keep passing it on. This is where a lot of Christians are struggling because there's a lot of Christians that are like, well, Jesus gives us everything for free. True. So the government should give us everything for free. No. God also doesn't run the world the same way he runs his family. I don't treat anyone out there the same way I treat my wife and kids. Why? They're not my family. I love them, care about them, want to help them, not my family. God doesn't run the world the same way he runs the kids, his, his kids. Are you with me? Man, we could go real weird, real strong place, but we're not going <laughs> to. There's people that are pitching. The government should give us all our health care for free. 
all, even if you don't want to work, just give you money to make sure you have a living wage. That is not smart. That is not smart and it is not the kingdom. Come on, the Bible also says if you don't work, you don't eat. Somewhere along the line, we have a whole generation, not everyone, but there's a generation that grew up and never learned what I'm about to teach you. So what do they do? Like, I need money. Okay, here's money. I need health care. Okay, here's health care. Man, I remember clear as day when my daughter was three years old. She's like, ooh, she's at a store. Oh, I want that toy. Oh, man, I want that toy. It's like 20-some dollars. We were like, you know what? We would love to help you get that toy. We'll give you a job. And you can work a job. We'll give you a few jobs, and then you'll make money, and then you can go buy the toy you want. At three years old, my little daughter knew, if I want to buy something, I need to find a job, and then I need to save my money. And then when I have enough money, I get to go buy what I want. If I want something, I need a job. I actually want to work because I want things, and I need to work to get money to get things. At three years old, we saw this clear as day. My wife was like, sure, I'd love to help you. Here, you can wash the windows. And she's washing the windows, and she gets a little money. And then here, you can fold the diapers, the cloth diapers. And she's folding the diapers. And my daughter is whining and complaining. I don't like this. I don't want to do this. And my wife's like, you don't have to do it. She's like, yes, I do. Why? Because I want money. And I want to buy, I want to buy that toy. And I was watching this, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there are 30-year-olds that need to know this lesson. Because they, because no one got rid of the childishness. Sometimes we, our job is to protect childlikeness in our kids and remove childishness. In our lives, our job is to make sure we have removed the childishness, but restore, recover our childlikeness as adults. Are you with me? Come on, this is just good, this is good stuff here. Here's how it plays out. Back up to kids cry about everything. I have a poopy diaper. I'm tired. I'm hungry. Here's what way too many families do. And you'll, you'll see this when I explain it to you really well. Some families don't know that you're supposed to learn your children's cries. They're all different. They sound the same at first. They're all different. And when your kid is tired, they'll, they'll cry different than when they're hungry. Unfortunately, what's happened is a lot of parents don't know that. So the kid cries and the mom just gives them food or the dad just sticks a bottle in their mouth and feeds them when they're tired, feeds them when they're scared, feeds them when they have a poopy diaper, feeds them when they have a wet diaper, feeds them when they want comfort. And here's what we teach our kids from the time they're like a day old. We teach them when you're tired, go to food. When you're scared, go to food. When you're when you're when you need comfort, when you need love, go to food. When you need food, go to food. When you made a mess, go to food. When you have relational problems, go eat. Are you with me? Please, if you have a young family, I'm helping you a lot right now. I'm also helping you a lot if you don't have a young family. And for everyone in who is here in here who is a regular believer, if you go crying to God because you're poopy, he might not feed you. He might actually change you because he knows you. 
And sometimes we grew up, sometimes we grew up thinking that God just needs to, you know, if our parents taught us, go to food, go to food, go to food, go to food, go to food. We think God's going to do this for me. And he's like, no, I'm not going to actually do that for you. I just had a guy not that long ago come to me, man, I need prayer. I need prayer. I'm like, I'm not going to pray for you. Actually, I'll tell you that story a little bit later. I had a woman come to me the other day in San Diego. She's like, I need prayer. I have demons. I'm like, I'm not going to pray for you. What? She says, I, I went to Legoland to the, to the hotel, and the dragon on the hotel spoke to me and said, I'm going to make you blind. I said, oh, I'm not going to pray for you. She's like, come on, I'm having symptoms. I can't sleep. I haven't slept for weeks. Like, pray for me. I'm like, no. Why? You don't need my prayer. Come on, we're like, God, God, do this. He's like, no. Why? He knows your cry better than you even do. Better than we do. I feel like I'm rabbit trailing, but this is important. The lady goes, this dragon on the building, a Lego dragon spoke to her, and sometimes people are way too scared of dragons. Look, don't be afraid of dragons. God actually has good dragons in the Bible. All around the throne are good dragons. It's Isaiah 6. They're called seraphim. But we were afraid to say dragons when we translated the Bible because we want to make sure everything's comfortable and tame. So we were afraid to say God has flying dragons all around the throne. And so we say seraphim. We just leave the Hebrew word there so no one gets uncomfortable. Like, whoa, seraphim angels. Like, no, actually the word means flying dragons. <laughs> it's the exact same thing that the devil was. Because remember, when God cursed the devil, I am such on a rabbit trail. When God cursed the devil, God said, from now on, you'll crawl on your belly. What's that mean? He wasn't crawling on his belly before. What was he doing? Probably flying. Are you with me? So in the Bible, God's throne is surrounded by dragons. And we're like, dragon's bad. Yes, dragon's bad. And dragon's good sometimes. Depends on where the dragon's from. Are you with me? The lady is like... She saw a dragon and fear came. And she's afraid because it's a dragon. First mistake. <laughs> Come on, Jesus is walking on the water. The disciples all freak out. It's a ghost. No, it's not a ghost. It's Jesus. It's not some evil manifestation of a spirit. No, it's Jesus. Sometimes the dragon is the Lord's, not the devil's. Are you with me? This is going to help you, I promise. She's like, the dragon, she got afraid when she saw the dragon. Then the dragon spoke to her, told her it was going to make her blind. Now she's experiencing all the symptoms. She wants me to pray, but she's crying. She's crying out like a little baby does, help. I'm like, I'm not going to pray for you. That's like me saying, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to change your bum right now. I'm going to feed you because I can tell you're hungry. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna actually feed you right now. I can tell you're tired, so I'm gonna help you put you down for a nap. But I told, I'm not gonna pray for you. You don't need me to pray for you. You need to repent for believing that some Legoland dragon is your Lord. What? She's like, what? I said, you think you believe you would never say this, but, but you're saying with your actions that you believe greater is the Legoland dragon than he that's in you. And it's not the Bible. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 
so you can say, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But the way you're living is as if some Lego dragon on the side of a building is more powerful than God in you. And she's like, oh. I said, I'm not going to pray for you. You need to repent for that lie. You believe a lie. And she's praying. She's like, I said, I don't need to pray for you. You need to pray for you. You need to repent that you let that thing become your God. You let that thing become your Lord. And I had her repent for believing that the Legoland dragon was her Lord and not Jesus. You know what she told me 10 minutes later after we repented for a few things like that, which are so weird. Like I'd never let anybody in a prayer like that. I've never had anyone repent for stuff like that. I'm like, wow, this is really interesting and good. She's like, no one has helped me as much as you. I'm like, I gave you 10 minutes. That's because everybody else was trying to pray for her. Oh, come out, lying spirit. I'm like, oh, man, you just stop believing the lie, and it will leave you alone. Are you with me? It all works into the whole thing of like, the lady was crying for a diaper change. I wasn't going to give her a bottle. I'm going to change your poopy diaper. Are you with me? I totally went so far away. Let's see if I can come back. The opposite is also true. One time I was like, man, I had the kids by myself when we had two. I had them both by myself. And the little one is like letting it rip. He's crying, crying, crying. I changed his diaper. I snuggled him. I tried everything except food. And I'm like, I can't figure out what's going on with this boy. I don't know how to help him. Oh, my gosh. And I'm starting, you know how, like, when the kids won't stop screaming, you're like, I'm going to break down over here. Like, I'm not doing good. Oh, gosh. And you're, like, really about to lose it completely. And I call my wife. I'm like, Lauren, help. I have tried everything. She's like, it's past lunchtime. Did you feed him lunch? I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> That's why he's crying. He needs food. And so I gave him some food. Oh, my problems were solved, right? <laughs> I said all that to say, if you have young kids, like, look, learn your kids' cries so you don't actually teach them something you really don't want to teach them. Way too many people go to food for other stuff. Here's another thing people go to. They go to the TV for other stuff, for comfort. I'm scared. Because my work is really hard and my boss is really mean. So I come home and I click on the TV and I binge watch Netflix to comfort myself. Are you with me? Probably along the line, some mom got overwhelmed because her kid, the kids were all fighting and they're all scared and they're all angry and they're all grumpy and none of them are doing good. And mom goes, here, quick, here, 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 here. Or we're in the restaurant and everybody's all going nuts. Here. You, you're scared. You're angry. You're mad. You're frustrated. You're fighting. You're embarrassed. Are you with me? Please, parents, don't do that. Sometimes you need this to babysit your kids, just not as much as you think. We don't want to teach our kids... TV is your comforter. Otherwise, we teach kids that, that the TV or Netflix or the video games, we teach them that's their God. Think about it. Whatever we go to for comfort re re replaces our comforter. 
Some people go to alcohol. That's your God. Why? Because you go for comfort. The Holy Spirit's the comforter. So whatever we go to for comfort, we actually let into his place in our life. Yeah? Some people, it's the TV. I need comfort, TV. Some people, it's food. Some people, it's video games. Come on, there's a lot of dads that are like, and some, I love video games. Please hear me. I love video games. I love food. I love Netflix. <laughs> I love Netflix. Are you with? I love Hulu. I love my phone. I love my social media. But I have to be careful. I have to be careful not to let it take a place it's not supposed to have. And I have to be careful not to, not to let, not to do that to my own children. I'm not to let them, let the phone take a place God's supposed to have. Is this making sense? When my, when I, come on, we're, we're, we're tightening bolts here. We're strengthening stuff. It's really important. Please, I just had a mom. The other day, we had this whole conversation. She goes, Seth, I'm trying to get rid of the pacifier for my daughter. I really don't want her to have the pacifier anymore. What can I do? I said, well, you can replace it with a blanket. Like, go get her a blanket, get her a toy, but make sure you don't allow her to start going to the new thing for comfort. Otherwise, she replaces one source of comfort with another, not knowing that the Holy Spirit is supposed to be the comforter. So I said, if you get her a blanket, make sure you say things like, oh, this blanket is so like the Holy Spirit. He just wants to cover you. He just wants to give you rest. He just wants to bring you peace. He just wants you to snuggle all up in the Holy Spirit and just be comforted. Are you with me? Otherwise, we have kids that jump from one comfort source to another, to another, to another. And if we're not careful, at two years old, we start instilling these belief systems in them that I need to go to natural things for comfort. Why? Because my mom took my passy out and gave me a blankie or gave me a toy. And now the toy is my comforter. And I know it's really a little bit dramatic, but it all plays out later in life. We end up going to all kinds of stuff. And I'm telling you, it starts when we're tiny. We go to food. How to start when you were breastfeeding. Mom just wanted peace in the house, so she fed you. It started when you got your pacifier out and you switched from one source of comfort to another. It's totally addictive. Why? Because when I was on drugs, I was just like, hey, guys, I don't snort Coke anymore. I'm good. I'm clean. I quit snorting Coke. I just smoke way more weed and drink way more alcohol than I did yesterday. But I quit Coke. Don't worry. I'm not addicted at all to Coke. No, I'm not. I just replaced my addiction. My source of comfort. Where did I learn to go to external things like that for comfort anyway? Probably somewhere along the line as a small child, belief systems got put in place like that. Man, this is good. When I called my wife and she's like, it's past lunchtime. Did you feed them lunch? No. I realized my kids were hangry. You know that word, hangry? Sometimes in our family, we're just like, 
I feel, I'm starting to feel hangry. Like, we just need to go get food because we're all hungry. And that's what's causing our, us to be grumpy. Um, another good thing to know about kids, family, is we want to move them from crying about everything to actually using words. Like, come on, you hear parents say it all the time. Use your words. Use your words. Why? Because kids are transitioning from screaming and crying for everything into, oh, I actually have a vocabulary and I can say, daddy, up. You know what I mean? Daddy, up, please. Daddy, water, please. Mommy, help. Like, we're teaching our kids to, to use words. Sometimes parents don't do this very good, and it causes a lot of trouble later. So, like, one of the things you can do with kids is, like, the perfect example for me is when our kids are watching TV, and they're, like, they're watching their show, it's loud in the house, they can't hear the show, and they just yell, they, they cry out, I can't hear! A lot of times, parents just jump up and turn the TV up, doot, 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 or whatever, like, grab the remote, because you probably don't let your three-year-old have the remote, so you grab the remote and you just turn up the TV. Why? Because your kid said, I can't hear, but you didn't actually teach them to ask for anything, to think about what they needed, and you reinforce the mindset of, I complain, and someone else jumps up and, and serves me. And they're three, and they believe. I keep, the, you know, it's like, it's important. When you have a poopy diaper, cry. When you eat, when you're hungry, cry. When you're scared, cry. As soon as you hit three, that should be done. You still trust your parents. You still love your parents. You're still having fun all day long, playing all day. But you learned, I don't just cry for stuff and get it served to me on a platter. So here's what you can do. Like, hey, I can't hear the TV. Like, all right, what do you need? What do you need is probably the most important question any of us can ever ask ourselves. What do I actually need? There's a book, a manager book, called The One Minute Manager. I don't remember most of it. I remember this one thing. This pe these people would come in and start telling them about the problem. Here's the problem. Here's the issue. Here's what's going on. Ah, these people, rah, 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 the money. They're, you know, they're just whining, complaining about everything. And the manager would go, well, what do you need? I don't know. And he says, well, come back when you figure out what you need. Because if you don't know what you need, you don't have a problem. Because the problem is the difference between where you're at now and what you need. Where you're at and where you want to be. And if you don't actually know where you want to be or what you need, you don't have a problem. You just have a complaint. So you're going to sit here in my office and complain, complain, complain until you figure out what you need. And now we have a problem. We have to get from here to there. Are you with me? I don't remember anything of the whole book except that I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so good for life. This is so good for kids and believers because if kids don't know what they need, all they're going to do is whine and complain. I can't hear. What do you need? Uh, I need it turned up. Uh, I need it more quiet in the house. Okay, which one? I need it more quiet. Okay. How would you turn that into a question? Dad, can you guys be a little more quiet? Yes, I got you. Hey, guys, let's move in the other room and talk over here and be a little more quiet so the kids can watch their TV. Or, what do you need? I need it turned up. Okay, how would you turn that into a question? Dad, will you turn the TV up? Hey, how would you ask me if you knew I wanted to help you? Come on, this is, this is, let me tell you something. This is how God will talk to you. 
God, this problem. Hey, what do you need? I need more money. All right. How would you turn that into a question? God, I need money. God, I need money. Dad, I need money. Father, I need money. Hey, how would you talk to me if you knew I wanted to help you? Oh, you want to help me? Dad, I need more money. There. Dad, I need the TV turned up. Oh, I love to turn the TV up for you. What am I teaching my kids? You don't just get to cry about everything and have someone come meet your need. You actually have to think about what you need, turn it into a question, and ask for help. Hello. This would take a lot of people off the welfare system if we only understood this one thing. And if we want to create healthy families, I'm telling you, we got to get it in them while they're two and three and four. When, it come, when it's TV and not taxpayer dollars. We're all serious. Remember, this is supposed to be fun. We're growing up. We're maturing. We're maturing. We're strengthening foundations. It might be painful a little bit, but it's going to feel really good when, the earthquake ha- <laughs> when earthquakes happen. You know what I'm saying? These are really important stuff. My daughter, like at, at six, <clears throat> I remember she was six. We had this friend come. My friend, this lady is like, she's dangerous. She is prophetess. She works at Bethel, runs. She runs millions and millions of dollars through her department. She sends mission teams all over the planet, like 100 teams at once. She sends them all. She is an administrative genius, and she's a prophetess. So she gets in a room with a microphone, and she might call you out and like flat out lay you out with the word of the Lord. Like she is dangerous. I highly respect this woman. I love this woman. She's one of our best friends. She's going to come visit us soon. She was at our house visiting when we first moved to LA and my daughter came up yelling, dad, brother, he, da, 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 da. And I said, hey, I really want to help you. Let's talk about this when your voice sounds like mine. Sometimes for all the believers who don't have small kids, sometimes we're like yelling at God and he won't talk back. And he's waiting for us to treat him like a dad, not just somebody that's totally disengaged and doesn't want to help. And way too often we yell at him or we get upset at him thinking he doesn't want to help us. Just like a little kid who needs to learn, my parents actually want to help me. My parents actually want to work through stuff with me. My parents actually care about me. So, and for kids, for parents, this is so important. The little kid's yelling. My daughter's yelling at me. I said, hey, I really want to help you. Let's talk when your voice sounds like mine. And my daughter goes like this. Dad, can you help me with my brother? Like, oh, I would love to. What's going on? He, da, 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 da. And then I asked, what'd you do? I, da, da, da. I'm like, okay. And my friend, prophetess, millions of dollars running through hundreds of teams going out all over the planet. She's like, what in the world was that? She'd never seen anything like it. She had never witnessed anything like it before. And I said, my daughter knows I will not engage with her at that level. Why? Because if she comes at me, Dad, I'm so angry, I'm so mad. If I'm not careful, I go, in, I go to her emotional state, to her level of volume, and now I'm arguing with my daughter. I'm a, me and my daughter are going back and forth way up here, 
And here's what we don't understand, is when that happens, when our kids do that and I match them, I just allowed my child to control me. And my only option then is to try and control them back. So my kids are like, Daddy, da-da-da-da-da. And if I get upset and and mad or she's yelling because she doesn't have something that she wants and she's getting more and more angry, if I match her, I just allowed her to control me. I let her tone of voice decide my tone of voice. And now I'm trying to use my tone of voice to get her to change her tone of voice. And I try to control her because I let her control me. Instead of, I controlled me, now I can teach her to control herself. Come on, if we raise kids who need us to control them, we just push the Holy Spirit completely out of their life because he's the one that brings self-control. He refuses to control us. The Holy Spirit, you're like, Holy Spirit, possess me. Take over my life. Fill me. I don't want any of me. I want all of you. Holy Spirit, possess me. And he's like, okay, cool. Control yourself. No, control me, God. No, I will not. How do you recognize a person filled, possessed by the Holy Spirit? They are in control of them, not God. A lot of times as parents, we think it's our job to control our kids. It's not. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So if we want to create a home full of control, we just created a home without Holy Spirit. Because where He is, there's freedom. And where He is, there's self-control. So it's my job to stay control of me, in control of me, and help my kids learn to control themselves. Are you with me? Because God will do the exact same thing with us. Oh, God. He's like, hey, you know what? I really want to help you. I really love you. I really care about you. You know what? Talk to me like I'm your friend. Talk to me like I'm your dad. As soon as you can get your voice to, t- to sound like you actually trust that I'm your friend and I'm your dad and I actually want to help you and I actually really care about you, then let's talk. And we're like, God won't talk to me. I know God won't talk to you because you keep acting like you don't believe he's your friend and your dad who actually cares about you. And you keep getting mad at him and you keep yelling at him and he's just waiting for you to control you because he's not going to do it. But he's going to control him. And as soon as you come back into, oh, God actually likes me and wants to help me. He actually cares about me. He actually really loves me. Oh, man, he loves me so much. Hey, God, can we talk about this? Oh, I'd love to. Come on, that's good. It's like a whole bunch of nuggets for young families and a whole bunch of nuggets for your own life. Yes? One more fun story. I have a friend. A few weeks ago, I started to tell you this story. A few weeks ago, he came up. and Well, his wife came up and said, Dude, my husband, not doing good. Suicidal thoughts, angry, angry at the boys, mad at the boys, mad at me, can't stand being at home, not doing good, wants help, needs help, can't even ask for help. He's stuck, and he's having suicidal thoughts. He's fully depressed. He's been spiraling down really bad, really fast. It's not going good. He can't get out of it. I don't know what to do. Can you go talk to him? like, I'd love to go talk to him. I go out there, and and he starts telling me what's going on, and I'm like, I I am not going to pray for him. 
I will not pray for him. He's been going around to try to get everybody else to pray for him. And I'm like, I'm not going to pray for this guy. Just like with the lady and the dragon. Like, I'm not going to pray for this guy. I love him, but I'm not going to pray for him. It's not what he needs. He's like, tells me the whole story. I said, I have this feeling you already know what you're supposed to be doing. You already know how to get out of this. And you haven't done it. And he's like, well, you're right. And he goes, the Lord told me, taught him, the Lord taught him to make a breakfast sandwich of like Thanksgiving, praise, and declarations or something like that. And he's like, the Lord told me I'm supposed to be eating breakfast sandwiches. And every day in my devotions, this is what I do. I give thanks. And I said, hey, so you haven't been eating your breakfast sandwich? He's like, no, I haven't been eating my breakfast sandwich. I'm like, you're not suicidal. You're starving. You're not angry. You're hungry. You're hangry. You're spiritually hangry. You think you're dealing with anger spirits? You're just, you just haven't been eating your breakfast sandwich God told you how to make. And he goes, oh, my gosh. And then I said the weirdest thing. I saw a leech on his neck in the spirit realm. I saw a leech. You know, leeches, like, climb up, attach, and start sucking the life out of you. They start sucking your blood. And if you don't know they're there, they make you really messed up and sick. I'm like, there's a leech on your neck. And it's, it's one thought that you allowed in to climb up, and it's been sucking the life out of you, and we got to get that thought out. And once the thought is out, and you start eating your breakfast sandwich, this whole thing's going to change. So I grabbed the leech off his neck in the car. I grabbed it. I rolled down my window, and I chucked the leech out the window. It wasn't even natural. There's no leech. I grabbed it, and he's like, whoa. I'm like, I know. You gotta, that leech has been draining all the nourishment from the food you had eaten and you haven't been replacing it. So you feel so weak. You feel so frail. You see, now you've let suicide come in. Now you've let anger come in. You've let all this stuff in because this thing has been sucking the nourishment from your past meals and you are not eating anymore. You're starving to death and this thing's taken all your nourishment. And now it's off and you need to eat again. He's like, okay. I just texted him this morning. I said, bro, I'm going to preach about the um, breakfast sandwich. How are you doing? He's like, I'm great. It's been like a month and a half. And he is like, he is, he's free from suicidal thoughts. He's free from depression. He's free from anger. And he's eating his breakfast sandwich every single day. He's giving thanks every day. He's praising God every day. He's making declarations every day. And he feels good. Come on. Let me just show you this verse in the Bible. It's Psalm 23. Verse, since we're talking about food and eating at the beginning, and it's noon, so we're all a little bit hungry. I'm just going to help you. Psalm 23. This is like the best psalm. Everyone knows this psalm. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, da, 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 right? Listen to verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So whenever a battle is here, so is a table. And a lot of times Christians are like, wow, I'm in a battle. And we try to go fight. The enemy's here. Ah, he's all around. The presence of the enemy is here. And we're like, wow, fight. Like, no, sit. Put your sword away and grab a fork. Don't try to fight. Go to the feast. God's like, hey, devil's all around. Come here, come here, come here, come here, 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 here. Look at what I made you. Look, 
Look what I want you to eat. No, God, you feed me. He's like, oh, I prepared a table before you. Don't try to fight when you're starving and malnourished and hangry and grumpy because you haven't been eating. Don't try to do that. Or you have the ability to eat your own food and you haven't been. And you're trying to fight these big battles out there and you can't even fight them because you're malnourished and you're frail and you're weak. And God's like, when the enemy tries to pick a fight with you, you come sit with me and eat. Use your teeth that you grew when you matured and start eating from my table. Start getting nourished from my table. Eat the living bread. Drink the living water. Drink the new wine. Eat the lamb chops, the milk, the honey. Put it on the living bread and eat it. And then go fight your enemy and watch what happens. Because I'm telling you, a nourished warrior is way better than a famished warrior. Hello. Man, that's good. All right. I think that's all my notes we can cover today. I said a whole lot of stuff. But... All all of that was for this. For us as individuals, this for us to actually mature and grow. Look, sometimes in our prayer life, things got to change. We got to stop yelling and crying and acting like God doesn't care. Sometimes we got to stop trying to drink milk when we have big teeth ready to chomp meat. And we need to eat for ourselves. Are you with me? We need to realize I have a poopy diaper I need to get a change, or I don't need someone else to pray for me right now. I need to do what I know I'm supposed to do. I need to do what God gave me to do, and I'll stop dealing with all the stuff that's been messing with me. I'm in the biggest battle of my life. You probably need to stop fighting. You know why? Ain't no one coming in to fight my kids when they're sitting down at the dinner table with their dad. You want to fight my kids? I'm here. We're going to eat. Kids, that kid's messing with you, come sit down. Come eat. Come have a meal. Let's talk. Yeah, some of you have been fighting way too much and not eating enough. It's not smart to work out without eating, let alone fight without eating. You do not want to get, if you're a UFC fighter, you do not want to get in that ring with no food. I mean, you don't want to be stuffed because you'll barf, but you, you definitely want to have food in your system so you have all the strength you need to actually fight. All, all of this today was just to strengthen foundations Tighten some bolts. Make sure the home is strong. Make sure our lives are strong. Like this is going to work in your kids if you have kids. It's going to work in your own life if you don't have kids. This is going to be really good stuff. Like some of you need to probably stop complaining and start asking. Or stop complaining and start working. And start figuring out what you need and ask for that. Not just tell God what the problem is. Tell him what you need. Man, we covered so many things. I'm trying to figure out how to pray for all this. I just felt like the Lord said, maturity, growing up is inevitable. 
but maturing is optional. Everyone, every kid, every kid is going to grow up. They're all going to lose their teeth. They're all going to grow new teeth. They're all going to eat solid food. They're all going to learn to use the bathroom by themselves, and they won't need you to change their poopy diaper. They're all going to learn this. They're all going to grow up and go to school. They're all going to grow up. It's inevitable. Whether or not they mature is optional. How we teach them is very important. We want to protect all that beautiful child likeness and actually help them mature so they're not childish. And for us, it's the exact same. Growing older in God is inevitable. Some people have been following God for 40 years and they are still very, very immature. And that's not my job. It's not your pastor's job. It's not anyone else's job. It's your job to learn. Hey, hey, hey. it's our job to say, you guys got teeth. Here you go. Eat it. Feed yourself. 